through discussions about politics, current events, and whatever else we can think of. We hope that this will inspire you to share and chat more with your dad, be it your biological father, grandfather, stepfather, like a father, or any other variation. I am your co-host, Aisha DeBerry, and I'm here with my cool dad, but sometimes serious, sometimes comical, Roy DeBerry. Here, here, we're back. We're back. It's all. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we're back, and of course, it's always a joy to be with you, Aisha, from uh, the great state of Georgia and from the great city of Atlanta. I'm here in Oxford, Mississippi, the home of, uh, of William Faulkner and Roy DeBerry and Ruby DeBerry and a few other people. Don't forget Ida B. Wells. Ida B. Wells is actually from Holly Springs. Yeah, that's my right. hometown. Yeah, and of course, I think you know she recently got the Nobel posthumously. And I was so pleased uh, to, to to get that. And I just found out the other day that there, uh, there's another um, entity named after her, and I didn't expect them to do that. So I think people are starting to recognize the value about to be Welsh. But this morning, I think we also uh, at a time of, of a little bit of distress because of what's going on. You're going to speak to that in a minute. I did wear my uh, shirt today that I picked up in Da Nang, Vietnam. Uh, as a way of showing some solidarity with my Asian brothers and sisters out there, given the fact that it was sisters for the most part who yes. were cute. So take it away. Yeah, thank you. So again, everyone, thanks for tuning in and hopefully you will enjoy this podcast today. So dad, um, yeah, to your point, you know, of course I'm in Atlanta. For those that don't know, I'm in Atlanta. Um, we just heard about uh, last week, uh, the recent incidents of uh, Asian women who were shot and murdered at an Asian spa near here. Um, it's not necessarily directly in Atlanta, but it's um, actually it was in Atlanta, but there were other cases as well that were outside in Cherokee County. And so just like that, uh, eight people were killed. And out of those, there were uh, Asian women who were murdered. The alleged uh, shooter says that he had a sexual addiction and that is why he went into the spa and killed these women um, who of course had no protection and uh, already there's a lot of conversation around just how women in these spas are treated in general around misogyny and sexual assault. So I like that. I stand in solidarity with my Asian brothers and sisters as we are fully aware of the increase. I mean, this has been going on, like we said, Dad, for a while, but fully aware of the increase of uh, targeted hate crimes towards the Asian community, which some of it, I, I'm just gonna be frank, sorry if you won't hear and you love Trump, but I, I believe a lot of that came from just this uh, hate towards the Asian community based on words that were said by our president during this pandemic. Yes, yes, leadership matters and, and uh, words matter, as you know, and I know we always have this thing about freedom of speech, and we've talked about that on a previous podcast with some limitations. But given the fact that I think we talk about the virus, for example, 
And while I think it's documented that the virus, this particular coronavirus came out of Wuhan, China, uh, it's a virus. Uh, right. it, it got transmitted. Uh, we, could, we could have some issues with perhaps the Chinese government did not move fast enough to quell it, but they yeah. did move. The other issue is they did uh, uh, get into the DNA of the virus right, uh, right quickly and shared that with the World Health Organization as well as the rest of the world. So that's neither here nor there. But the point is, when he makes things like ch the China, and you know he doesn't even pronounce China correctly, um, China virus, um, the Asian virus, it has a way of stereotyping, and people have a way of connecting. Uh, when when we had the uh, so-called Spanish flu, and you know you spent time in Spain, and right. I've always said there was no such thing as Spanish flu. The flu actually came from America, but mm -hmm. it came from the Midwest, where we had those slaughterhouses with hogs and things like that. I don't think people at that time referred to it as an American virus. Right. And even if they referred to it as, as a Spanish flu, it was just to give it a location. It was yeah. not to, again, categorize a whole people as being tainted because of a virus. Right. Uh, a virus is a virus. A virus can hit any country, any place in the world at any time. And yeah. so what we have to do is, is uh, work together as a community to try to get in front of that virus. And if we can't get in front of it, do what we would try to do with the, with the uh, quarantine, do what we try to do with the, with the vaccine, and all the other stuff that comes out of CDC in terms of guidelines. So you're right, this is nothing new. It's been building for a while. And it's not the first time we've had this thing with, with uh, the Asian issue, because mm -hmm. even go back a couple of years ago, we used to refer to places as a China man, you know, as yeah. opposed to somebody that's from China. Or uh, the issue that the Vietnamese had when they came after serving with America for a number of years in Vietnam, they came to uh, Mississippi particularly the, the Gulf Coast Biloxi, and mm -hmm. they just wanted to make a living uh, as fishermen because they had been fishermen back in Vietnam where I went recently. Yeah. And yet there was a lot of hate, a lot of murders, a lot of destruction related to the fact that these Vietnamese were there, quote unquote, taking their fishing spots away from them. Yeah. Had, you have that notion of the other all the time. If you're not European and you don't have a certain kind of skin tone, then you're the other, that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and when you have politicians like this previous man, I don't call his name, who tends to promote that kind of thing, then you have a lot of other folk out here who use it as a, to take advantage of it, not to justify this idiot uh, who went in and killed those women. That yeah. Trump made him do it. He did it because he wanted to do it. That was a yeah. choice he made. And for this uh, this city deputy to make the statement that he's having a bad day, even if he's quoting from him. He did right. not make that statement. Who cares about what kind of days happen? That right. does not give you the right to, to go out there and kill not only one person, but let alone eight people. people. So we need to call it what it is and, and, and deal with it uh, at that is a hate crime uh, and it should be dealt with as a hate crime. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, hey, Andrea, I see you online. Hey, Renata, good to see you. And Lisa and Ashley, thank you all for coming. And feel free to put chats in or any comments. It's just good to see you on Sunday. But Dad, you know, it, 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 first of all, yes, to all of the points that you just made. And I was watching a couple of um, other folks, social media influencers, if you will, kind of talking around this topic around, you know, we have our Black Lives Matter movement. We have now our Stop Asian Hate movement. But really, I don't know if we're necessarily just talking about the group hate, but about, like you said, just white supremacy and this othering 
of of people. So you know, my I, I have a lot of thoughts around my head. There's people on the Black Lives Matter movement saying, "Well, wait a minute, you know." while we absolutely denounce what happened to the Asian community, we're still over here fighting our thing. Then we have some of my Asian friends and brothers saying, look, listen, now we are dealing with some issues. Hey, Black Lives Matter, we need your help. So, you know, I, I, I sit in the middle and I, I'm like, how do we begin to build a bridge between the two of us? Because I think, like you said, the issue is not about you know, let's just focus on Asian hate. Let's just focus on Black Lives Matter. It's about white supremacy. And this Correct. Right. right. That's exactly right. And it's not a zero-sum game. It's yeah. not you win, I lose. It's like we together, as a solidarity, we all to face the fact that there are certain issues, institutional racism, white supremacy, that's been around a long time, that has to be addressed. Because when you don't address that, it will show its face for the Black people. It'll show its face for Asian people. It'll show its face for Native Americans. It'll show its face even for, for poor whites. The problem with this, though, is we've had opportunities in the, in the past for people who are oppressed to build solidarity for each other, whether it's the yeah. labor movement historically. But what happened was historically, and we'll talk about that later when we talk about reparation, is divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. It's like, it'll say, well, Asian, don't care about Black Lives Matter, focus on yourself. Or it could say to the Black community, don't care about the Asian community, just focus on yourself. That's divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. It never works. Mm -hmm. The only thing that'll work is when these people come together and understand that the real issue here is not just being Asian or being black or being poor or being female. It's about systemic racism. It's about white supremacy and it's about a history. Yeah. And, and until we address that history and deal with what that history has brought us, we can't ever get to the core problem. Yes, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So for my white brothers and sisters, dad, so what it, I, you know, I have white folks that are like, listen, I didn't do this. Oh my I didn't, friends are white. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do this. I didn't, you know, kill George Floyd. I didn't murder these Asian women at this spa. Why are you coming at me? It's not about individual. We're yeah. talking about institutions here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not about uh, individual person. It's about institution, and you have to deal with things in an institutional way. Uh, uh, white racism is not about an individual. It's about institution. That institution is economic, that institution is political, it's social, it's, it's psychological. It's a whole bunch of things that's all come up in that history. A lot of it relates to slavery, a lot of it relates to oppression, a lot of it relates to Jim Crow, a lot of it relates to ongoing so it's not like mm -hmm. stuff is stopped, it's ongoing yeah. because yeah. we have not systematically addressed it. Yeah. And yeah. we just see these pockets that pop up from time to time. No, I, I think you're right. It's not about an individual, uh, although we're going to find out later that you do benefit from things that you don't have anything to do with individually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, again, like Dad said, we absolutely are in solidarity with our Asian brothers and sisters. We know that this is not a one-size-fits-all solution. It's going to take a, a lot of time for us to, to move towards justice in this nation. And so if nothing else, I think, unfortunately, this brings and puts to the front of the line, again, that we have a lot of work to do. And we absolutely need to come together if we're going to move the needle at all, in my personal opinion. So. But we also have to confront our history and we have to understand what that is and right. then we can move forward. You know, these people that always say, let's reconcile, let's all be friends. You know, like Rodney King said, as he had been beaten half to death, you right. know, can we all get along? Get along. Right. Right. We can all get along, but recognize 
that there has been an issue, yes. that there's a problem. And then you can move forward to solve the problem, but you can't just pretend it didn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Dad. I, I did want to make a note too, and we didn't uh, make a note about this earlier. We are in March. It is Women's History Month. So right. happy Women's History Month to all of the ancestors who have set the page and set the road for us women now today. And kudos to all the women that are doing great things around the nation world um, to just make this a more equitable world, if you will. So acknowledging all of those people. And in particular, you know, I love me some Ida B. Wells and Fannie Lou Hamer, but there is a whole laundry list of, of women that I, I consider yeah, mentors. Absolutely, because yeah. they have played a significant role yes. in the country. And I think going, going forward, going to play even a more significant positive role in trying to make America the beloved community it all be. Yes. Absolutely. And look, I, I'm looking in the background, Dad, of your book. It, look at all those women <laughs> that, that are sitting there. 90% of our book is really women. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because they oftentimes, these are local women that didn't, you know, get the play that you, you know, Mega Evers and the Dr. Kings got, and they rightfully should have gotten that play, John Lewis. But there were so many women at the local level. Uh, that people would never know about, never wrote about, never heard about. And these are the women that we feature in our book. As I say, in, at least 90% of the people we feature in our book are women uh, yes. of great note and uh, powerful movers in our community. And that book is, just so you all know, Voices from the Mississippi Hill Country. So as you can see, that's the same photo that Dad has in the background. So you can order this wherever books are sold. In particular, you can go to University Press of Mississippi and get your copy. So if you are interested in learning about Mortar Stories, as well as all these women that you see there in the audience behind Dad, I encourage you, especially for Women's History Month, to purchase the book. Thank you. Yeah, Speaking of women, the lady who is on the uh, foreground in the book, uh, Miss Stewart is the daughter of one of the people we, you know, we de dedicate the book to as uh, Henry Reeves, and she's still alive. She's about 85, 86 years old, but a wonderful woman who did a lot of work with Head Start in Mississippi. Speaking, um, and speaking of women, um, Dr. Kismikia was the woman who really led the vaccine in terms of us getting uh, vaccines out there, finding if you will, finding a cure. It's not fully a cure, but finding a way to prevent this thing from spreading. Uh, kudos to her and her team in terms of getting this thing done. So how you feeling, Dad? He took, Dad took his vaccine. Who else out there on Facebook Live took y'all's vaccine? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I, you know, I had a conversation with a brother yesterday, and I think he finally got around to taking one. Uh, now he's probably in his 60s, and he said his children and grandchildren kept convincing him uh, to take the vaccine. You know, one of the first things, you know, my people always say is that I'm, I had to pray about it. I said, well, we pray about it. Day, don't we? <laughs> but anyway, I don't know why people feel that when it comes to this notion of, the, of taking the vaccine, the first thing they always say, like an introduction, I'm going to pray about it. <laughs> Dad, you need to lead these black folks long. You know we religious and spiritual. But then uh, I said, well, you know, he told me he had surgery about two weeks ago. I said, well, you know, when that lady came in with that fentanyl, you know, and, and put you <laughs> under, I hope you prayed about that too, because it's all about trust, right? <laughs> I mean, let's pray, but also let's do something. But anyway, I, I don't want to, I don't want to shave it. I'm just so happy, please, that we are making some progress, right? Yes. Even if I still hear these arguments that are made about, well, I'm going to wait a while. <laughs> I, I, 
I'm gonna let Aisha take it first, and then if, if she's not dying, then I may take it. Dad, <laughs> but you know those are real arguments because we gotta remember the Tuskegee Institute. We gotta remember Henrietta Lacks. Okay, let's not forget. Yeah, yeah, now I yeah. don't know if those people really know that say they gotta pray about it. But the point is, we can't discredit those folks. Yeah, but you know, I, I agree with you, and I, and I know a little bit of that history too. And you're absolutely right. So <laughs> we, we we need to know our history. We need to know. What I'm saying, our people can be justified. No yeah. question about that. Because there's yeah. no question that in terms of systemic racism, how we have been marketed and, and, and used as guinea pig when there was yeah. drugs out there. Yeah. But we transitioned to a, a different day. And like you mentioned, a sister that was engaged in that research. Yeah. And I had a chance to, you know, talk to a sister of yours at the at the uh, at the medical school there. Yeah. And listen to the the scientific work she's doing. Or we read the journals, right? And yeah. we know that from day one that black people have been involved in the trials, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we know for a fact that this was not a situation where it was given to white black people exclusively like they did with the experiment in, 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 in Tuskegee where you had a black group of black men, yeah. you know, that they knew once even when they got the discovery for the for syphilis, they allowed them to die basically Right, yeah. just to see what kind of effect this uh, this disease would have. That's unethical. That's wrong. That was racist. All of that. No yeah. question about that. Okay, but if you if you move forward about a number of years, we that was in the 30s. We are now in 2021. Uh, it's clear that this thing is hit, hitting everybody. Yeah. You no, know, and not just one select group, and it's hitting us disproportionately, particularly mm -hmm. black people of color. And so if we got a chance to uh, hear from our faith leaders, hear from our scientific community, hear from people we, we know mm -hmm. and love, then, and we know we're at risk, we ought to take it. Now, I, I'm, I use a little humor because, because every time I, that subject comes up, <laughs> the first thing they'll say is I pray about it. But I said, you pray about everything, so you pray to it. Andrew on Facebook Live said, faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. <laughs> exactly. So with that face, let's do a little work. Thank you. <laughs> right. So, um, oh, I also cannot forget about J. Marion Sims. So I, I did not want to forget about um, Marion Sims as well. Yeah. So uh, it's so interesting because I happened to, I put it on my Instagram uh, last week that, you know, Biden and Harris were actually here in Atlanta going to the CDC right. uh, to talk more in detail. I didn't get a chance to see it on TV or anything, so I don't know what this discussion well, was. I think I didn't see a lot of it because I think they had to they had to change a little bit of the agenda. Yeah. I think while they were coming initially to praise um, Warnock and, and also for the victory and for the people of Georgia for the great victory, I think that with the, the awful slaughter that took yeah. place there at those spas, they had to obviously change their tone. And I think they met with members of the family, uh, which Biden is very good at. And I think she is as well, uh, yeah. this, this ability to empathize with people when they have suffered great loss. And I think we want that from a leader, but not the phony stuff that you can get sometime, but I think the real genuine empathy that uh, they displayed obviously will go a long ways. And he's not done this, this is not the first time, he's done this many times before. Um, as a way to to feel the pain of those people who are suffering. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I, you know, I'm just, I'm glad that you got the vaccine. I saw some people on Facebook Live have gotten the vaccine. Each one, reach one. Um, I know that here in Atlanta, in the state of Georgia, I should say, not just Atlanta, they're doing mass vaccines at, at various locations, civic centers, churches, and the like. So um, although I haven't been able to get mine just yet, because it has been quite a little bit of a challenge, but that's okay. I know that it's coming and I, I'm just excited yeah. you and mom were able to get yours as well thank as you, many of my and family. They, they have opened it up now here for everybody in the state of Mississippi. So not only did they open <clears> up <throat> with uh, the governor and the one in Texas, and that's a whole nother story, uh, decided to just open up things economically. Uh, yeah. but they also have opened up the vaccine for everybody over a certain age. Uh, obviously they can't give them for children, but 18 and older at this point in time now can take it. And I think the percentages have gone up. Uh, I'm really yeah. pleased to see it go up among people of color because I was really worried about that for a while, uh, us not doing uh, enough out there in terms of outreach to reach people. But Ruby said something to me the other day, which makes sense. You go now to, we drive through these small towns on the way to Jackson and you see the, uh, the um, armories, the National Guard and everybody else coming out, uh, yeah. nurses from everywhere um, giving these uh, giving these shots to people and I'm glad to see people people do that. Yeah, that's um, good. Keep going. Make, yes, keep going. And we still need to get up to 75, 80%. Um, now I know that about 30% of our good Republican quote unquote have indicated that they uh, not plan to take it. I don't, tr I don't trust that. I think these people uh, like to project a certain image and then they slip behind the door. <laughs> Right, and get the, get the shot real quick and they come back out like, uh, they, they, don't they do try, it. They try to pro-Trump cars for a second, but as soon as they get to that, because I, I think, I think that's one of the problems we had here, is that we had a whole, I was hoping that some of those folks would wait to give other people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but when folks were coming to take the shot, these folks had jumped in line. I said, I thought, thought y'all said y'all were act that vaxxers. Okay, hypocrites, you see what I'm saying? Him or I'm not calling it a name. I'm not calling right. it a name. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> anyway. Well, just talking, when you were talking about, uh, you know, President Biden, you know, it's it's on uh, Instagram, you know, my age group, but a little bit younger, we call him Moneybags Joe. Joe is just throwing the money out there right now. So, you know, people are getting their stimulus check. Ash and I actually went to Walmart last night uh, um, in Alabama. We walked into Walmart. It was a line from the front all the way to the back of electronics. If you've been in Walmart, you know where electronics is. It's all the way in the back. The line was all the way to the back. And so people were leaving because they didn't want to stand in line. And so I asked the greeter, I said, is this normal for you all to have so many people in line at 10 o'clock at night? And, and he said, no, it, it hasn't been. I said, it has to be the stimulus check. It is. is. And you know, I work at the, you know, I serve on the credit union board and we had our meeting on Thursday and uh, uh, we heard a report from the CEO and from the uh, the chief financial officer. And one of the things they said to us last week, um, and we have a relatively small credit union, about a hundred, it was $96 million and I jumped to a hundred million temporarily. And the reason why I jumped to a uh, hundred million was because of the stimulus and because of the refund. Yeah. So, there were uh, $7 million deposited into our credit union last week. Wow. Now, it's going to come out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to come out pretty fast. Uh, but but that's part of what the economy wants. I mean, yeah. part of it is a stimulus. I mean, one thing you want to address the issue with the vaccine, 
The other yeah. one, you want to do something about the schools. And the other one, you want to do something about black farmers, which I think is a good thing. Not enough, yes. but a good thing. The other good thing is it's going to stimulate people to go out and buy. Yeah. And that's so you will see a, 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 a tick up in terms of the economy. Now, what I'm hoping for, and you, you've been in business, and Ashley is in business, is I'm hoping that people, particularly with children, because this thing with daycare, I mean, this thing with childcare is big. Yeah, that's a big thing because I think that can have an impact on, you know, uh, decreasing child poverty. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm saying to people that I have a chance to mentor and talk with is yes, go out and spend some, but also figure out a way to invest and save some. So you know, because this government ain't gonna be this good for a while. Again. Yeah. So yeah. take full advantage of that. So there needs to be some financial literacy going on as we do with our credit union to tell people don't put all your money out and go out and spend it, pull some of it out. Uh, because one woman came in and, and uh, deposited uh, a check for, I don't know, you know, we have a limit of, uh, of $3,000 you can take out. So she put in 7,000 yeah. she wanted to take out uh, 4,000 and, and got really mad at our, and I tell her, <laughs> tell her when the teller said, you know, and then she wanted to tell her to give it to her in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> And the child said, ma'am, could you come inside? So, you know, it is a pandemic, you know, the lobby is closed, but somebody yeah. can get the door and we can count your money for you. And then yeah. she did that. She wasn't too pleased about that. And then she <laughs> came back the afternoon with the $3,000 and asked for uh, all $3,000 to be wired. So, oh my God. But anyway, but, but we're in a trade union where we have to, you know, we deal with community people. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, yeah. And so we tell people you have to be uh, courteous, you know, you have to be uh, respectful. And right. th these are the stay money uh, and do everything you can to be respectful. And yeah. not, not even when people go off on you, you know, don't lose your cool. And, yeah. I, you know, and I understand they're human beings and they get a little, you know, uh, sometimes get a little burden. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I do want to be sensitive to the fact that I don't know this woman's situation. So it, it very well may be she needed that money right away. Oh, no, it's um, not for yeah. them to say. Yeah. We just said that for, we can only give you $3,000 of that day. Yeah. Now you can come back the next day and get the rest of it or get yeah. $3,000 more. And, but she wanted it, you know, all. Yeah, and it reminds me, you know, of that when, you know, I used to be working in my little high school job. And for people that don't know my dad, I'm definitely going to share with you right now. Dad <laughs> is frugal Fred, okay? Frugal, tight. <laughs> I need y'all to fully understand what I grew up. I didn't think we had anything because dad made it very clear that whatever money he had, it was his money. It was not my money. And then when I get my own money, which was true, he said, you should always save some and put some to the side. Like you give yourself some money, but then you put some to the side. Now, did I always exercise that? No. But the point is, <laughs> I was taught at a very early age to put something to the side, no matter what the amount was. Because again, I was working at high, you know, I was a high school job. So it wasn't like I was making that much, but just getting into the practice of doing that. So I'm hoping that, you know, with those who are able to get the stimulus check, 
And I understand there are probably a million other things you have to do with it, pay bills, groceries, childcare. So I'm not trying to come from an elitist lens and say that you don't have things you got to take care of. But if you can, you know, to begin to think about, to your point that, you know, where can some of those monies go? I have a girlfriend right now from high school that plans to use her money to put some aside to purchase a home. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things your friend in New York, who is a financial advisor, who's very good, by the way. Yeah. uh, and it's this is sort of stuff she's doing, and I think people in the black community uh, need to step up and start to provide those services. The churches can be very good at doing it as well. So you're not trying to tell people how to manage their money, but you're trying to teach them how to be, as you say, a little bit more frugal. I got that from my mother, uh, yeah. who said day one, if you got a dollar, save a dime, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just sort of in my DNA. <clears throat> and so you got really just an extension of what I got from my from my mother. Uh, yeah. When I was I, w- I was growing up, and that's right. It's it's uh, I was told never to get angry about somebody else's money. Yeah, you, you know you get your own money. <laughs> if you want to get angry about that? That's your business. But anyway, yeah. anyway, that's enough on that. Yeah, just so you just you know, see, see, he says it's enough on that. That's because he's frugal, Freddie. Okay, <laughs> let me tell you, you, we don't, we still don't know how much dad money, money dad's sitting on. He probably got something stashed away somewhere that we don't know about. But you know, just speaking about houses too. Uh, my sister Andrea Morgan is on here, so if you're on Facebook right now or you happen to hear about this later, Andrea Morgan is a real estate. Um, broker and realtor here in Atlanta. So she uh, actually wrote a book in regards to just the basics of money. So Andrea, I encourage you to put that in the uh, Facebook chat. And of course, if you're listening on podcast much later, I'll make sure to include that on our next episode. Oh, absolutely. That is so critical. As I said before, by just, you know, uh, discounting poverty things is critical because that was one of the things Democrats uh, did that to their favor to put that stuff in there about daycare. Yeah. And for two years. And I hope at some point it may be extended because if there's one way to get people out of poverty is to make sure parents are able to take care of their children. And the bottom line is daycare is expensive, as you know, very expensive. And mm-hmm. often people of color cannot not always send their kids to the best places. Yes. Get the care and get the education. But if, if they can now get this uh, child credit, which I think is significant, mm-hmm. uh, and put that together, over these next couple of years, that can make a huge difference in the development of those children. And at the same time, give those mothers opportunity to get back to work. Because as you know, women have been disproportionately affected by this pandemic. Absolutely. To go out there and take care of those kids. And the husband, for whatever reason, and the boyfriends, for whatever reason, were able to sort of maintain their jobs. But women have lost their jobs. This is a very high rate. Yes, and that's such it, a good point. Yeah, Thank you for bringing it up. At daycare now and get back into work get back into the job, at the same time, give their kids the best care uh, that's going to reap all kinds of positive benefits in the future. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, we're talking about money, you know, I mentioned to you and you had uh, talked to me about you're going to moderate a panel on the infamous reparations. This is a topic I remember, gosh, this was probably last summer. I posted on Facebook, you know, that I was for reparations. And when I tell you, you. people jumped all over me. That was probably the first time since I've been on Facebook for about 15 years now um, that there was just so much backlash from that comment that I made. Right. Well, you know, uh, in addition to reading, and I will think about that. Uh, uh, thank you for that. Uh, you know, one of the things about the pandemic is forced me 
and so many other people just read a lot. And yeah. that means I, I, I got rid of a lot of the talking heads. And so I found myself reading a book or so now, almost a book a week. Uh, and so the last two books I read, one was The Bellstone. And this is about a friend of mine named Mike Califatos. He's a Greek guy. And he had, I had gone to Greece and we had, I had gone to some of the places where his grandparents had grown up and his father, as Matthew, was born there. And he wrote this book called The Bellstone, the Greek sponge divers of the Aegean. They used to dive naked and they used to make a living diving very deep and holding their breath before wow. they invented these machines. And these people could stay on the water for three minutes, sometimes four minutes. I think the record is five minutes uh, all for one breath. It's called catching the wind before they would go down. Mm-hmm. And they had this bellstone, which was a weight that would take them down fast because they wanted to go down fast, get down and um, get as many sponges as they could because it was a business, but they had to come up slowly because if you don't come up slowly, you're going to end up getting the bends, right? And yeah. you can be paralyzed, you can die from it. So that, that's, that, that reading that book is, has been absolutely fascinating uh, and it's so much more. But the other book uh, that I read primarily because I was asked by Dr. Simon, who is a professor at the Heller School at Brandeis, Massachusetts, uh, he's gone to, in April, uh, going to bring uh, William Darity and Christian Mullen, it's a husband-wife team, mm-hmm. who's written, I think, the very book, best book, uh, even though we, we quoted from a coach, right, earlier, yeah. mm-hmm. um, article in Nation. But this is, a, and it's primary, it's secondary resources. But yeah. he, has, he has researched this thing extensively, going all the way back to 16 and 19 and before, and it's called From Here to Equality, uh, Reparation for Black Americans in the 21st Century. And I would, uh, rather than, you know, people, you know, start to form opinion one way or the other, I would advise them to read this book. Yeah, uh, It's one of the best books on the topic, the best research book on the topic that I've read. Yeah, uh, From Here to Equality, Reparation for Black Americans in the 21st Century. I don't know how long he, he, he researched his book. I don't know how many people were involved in the research. I know he and his wife both did extensive research. I've, they are both associated with University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Okay. Uh, and I think they're both professors there. I know he is, but maybe both of them. And I think that was a press that published the book. And that book was just published, I believe. So it's fairly new. Let um, me just see if I can get a publication date. Uh, it was just published, I want to say this, in 20. Uh, oh, wow. So it's, it's uh, uh, maybe the 21, so it's relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that makes it, he is not, he doesn't get emotional about this. I mean, they don't get yeah. emotional. They look at this thing from economics. They look at it from uh, history. Mm-hmm. They look at it from sociology. They look at it from psychology. They look at it from ethics. They look at it from morality. Um, and they look at it in terms of a debt owed. In other words, if you if you factor in that blacks came to this country, not as slaves, mm-hmm. you know, there was a slave trade, but they came here as indentured servants initially when they mm-hmm. were stolen from the Portuguese or English kind of, you know, they were ripping each other off, but they right. stole the they, they cargo and they ended up in, in, in Jamestown, uh, Virginia, mm-hmm. about 1619. These people were black indentured servants, just like the white folk were. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have a situation where it was about race. You know, you work for seven years, like in a biblical time, and you after that, you could get your freedom. Right. And that went on for a while. And then, of course, the same thing with Native Americans. You could work for a while, the one that they had captured. 
uh, and then you could get your freedom. But then there was this always this conflict between European powers, whether right. the English, Portuguese, you name it. And so they were always about trying to make money and trying to get that comparative advantage, right? Economic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if you had to pay the white folk uh, a little wage, well, you, had, you had to pay them. Right. And then all of a sudden, you just say, it, uh, you know, uh, well, maybe we can just turn these black folk into slaves mm -hmm. and make it permanent, and we don't have to pay them. Right. Now, they did something else that was curious, too, and that usually, historically, for generations and generations, fathers, you know, the children carried the father's name. Mm -hmm. And so whether it was a slave father or whatever, those children inherit some wealth. Right. Right. But if, if you come up with a structure where these people were in fact commodity and not mm -hmm. human, then you don't have an obligation. Right. So then they can work for free forever. Right. Now right? let me let me put a pin in that. That is critical. That say that again. If you move from humanity to a commodity, that that's, that's a huge away. transition. That's that a is huge, huge transition. transition. And that's, that's what huge. that book sort of points out, right? And in terms of even the old fathers, the old English fathers, because there were, you know, other relationships going on between the Europeans and the African women. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, sometimes it was consensual, but I maintain there's no such thing as consensual when you uh, got power over me. Right, right. You know, even if I yes. say yes, you still, that's still, that's a power relationship. Right. It's, so dom it's domestic abuse. It's like a domestic abuse situation. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, mm -hmm. the, so, but the father gets off the hook. Right. Because now he is a commodity. His own child, who's a commodity, is a commodity. So yeah. then from the time you become a slave, that's free labor. Mm -hmm. So from, say, I don't know what the year was, may have been 1630, because it went on for a while before all these laws were passed. And this happened before the revolution, right? Mm -hmm. This was colonial America. And people need to remember, just not in the South, which the book points out, but every colony mm -hmm. had quote unquote enslaved people. Yes, everyone. Every everyone. everyone. And matter of fact, some of the recent uh, New Jersey may have been the one, one of the last one to get rid of slavery of right. those New England colonies, right? So there's no shit about Virginia and Georgia and all those places where the you know, not true. Okay. Yes. So that's another transition. So you start off with people being people. You start off with color being irrelevant. It mm -hmm. was was an issue if you work for a living. You know, you work for your master in this case, and then after seven years or so, you were free. But after that transition in law, colonial law, so America had a chance, and this is what the book pointed out, to get started on the right track, mm -hmm. right? It, mm -hmm. it could have outlawed uh, slavery earlier, you, just like the English did, not in terms of getting rid of uh, slavery, but they got rid of the slave trade. Yeah. So America had an opportunity at its independence, which we think mm -hmm. you got to talk about, to say, we don't want to do this. Right. We don't want to have enslaved people. We are talking about equality of man, right? And it's on you, 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 you're given those rights by God. Right. And therefore, you have a right to get started. Opportunities missed. Mm -hmm. Once you miss that one, then because of tobacco and because of cotton and because of demand for more labor. And if you got free labor, then that means you produce at a yes. huge scale. Huge right. scale. Huge. So, then all these places become richer and richer. And there's no incentive whatsoever now to ever think about the uh, African as being a human being, yes, only being property to be sold to work, to be sold and working to make profit. So you get the Civil War stuff going on, they talk about, 
you know, and you have great things going on with, with Sherman and others when they have these field orders that said uh, something about, you know, if you if you go break away and fight the union, because Lincoln was all about the union. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ought to we ought to compensate the, the Africans who later decide to uh, who who fight with the union. Right. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln. And I'm trying to move real quickly because this book just covers a whole lot. But Lincoln the initiative was always for the union. Uh, he had some issues with the civil rights and the political rights of black, like a lot of folk did at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was willing to pay off the masters. Say, mm-hmm. okay, guys, if you want, uh, we don't want to take we don't want to take the Africans away from you. Right. But if we do, we we're willing to pay you for it. Right. And and, and so they that was reparation. Yes. But the old Southerners said at that point, nah, nah, this is too good. Uh, right. We, we, this is too good. So they said, let's fight the Civil War. Yeah. And so, and, and so you don't have Civil War, you know, you end up with the proclamation, all of that. And then you got Blacks who are concubines, got Blacks who don't have any place to go. They, they have to leave the plantation, they join the Union. And so, uh, and they were exploited too, even during that period. Uh, what do we do for these people? Right. Uh, well, let's give them 40 acres and a mule. Mm-hmm. And then the people in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, those radical Republicans said, let's give them 40 acres and a mule. Mm-hmm. And that was about to be done. Lincoln was never in favor of that, but it was about to be done. He gets assassinated. Obviously, the, 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 the uh, Johnson from Tennessee, mm-hmm. who has all kinds of issues himself, uh, has no great love for Black people, even though Tennessee, as you know, had been sort of on that on the fence about mm-hmm. slavery. Uh, said, nah, they don't have any political rights. So I'm not in favor of giving them this for the commute. So he vetoed it. Yeah. And they tried to impeach him. Uh, and you know, that was one way he was able to, by one vote, um, not get convicted. Right. So another opportunity missed. Now, but what's interesting about this book and what they talk about is, although Blacks who had been enslaved mm-hmm. and put the country up had fallen in the military, in the North and South, yes, were given nothing. The, the the former slave owners, when they would say, "Okay, Davis and all of them, you know, we we all clear our allegiance to the Union, so we all come back." So when they come back, what do they do? The government paid them, right? You all go back and get your land, right? Only you go back and get your land. We are really tired of these Negroes because we got that bureau at the bureau for ten years doing reconstruction. And the North gets tired because they said, look, we tired, let these folks just do their own thing. So these guys who had fought you, yes, now said you're back in the union and you just run your own business. Mm-hmm. You know, take care mm-hmm. of them Africans. Uh, and what you can do now, the 13th Amendment won't allow you to put them back into slavery, but what it will do, you can, I tell you what you do, just start sharecropping. Right. Just make right. them sharecroppers, right? Uh, and, yes. and, and then we end up with that whole criminal justice system where people uh, make a, they have these old laws where if you just uh, standing around yeah. somewhere. Soliciting, loitering. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you're in your prison. And then what happened? They lease these people out. Right. To the plantation owners. Yes. Huge plantation owners. So they can recreate their wealth. Not only that, you had the Homestead Act, which takes place when all these people decide to go west, young man, young woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They get land free. Right. Right. So the people that had built the country created for free. Mm-hmm. All these guys are saying, now nah, we're going to go back and now and look at economically what did that labor cost? cost. If right. you look at 
7%, what would you have paid that labor? Right. Even if you take out the fact that you provided them with a little some raggedy clothes or you provide right. raggedy shit. A Bible to read. Right, Bible to read. Just deduct that. Right. Even if you do that over these hundreds of years, you're looking at anywhere between $2 trillion, according to Darity and Mullen, and $42 trillion. Wow. That you can economically, and this is not on just so-called progressive economists. Right. You can take even your conservative economists. Yes. And they can look at all this debt, all this wealth, all this labor, all this lost wages over not just slavery, slavery, Jim Crow, uh, ongoing discrimination. Yes. And you can come up with a number, yeah. an economic number, and that number is anywhere between two and, and, and $42 trillion. Now, one of wow. the things people always ask is, well, uh, I didn't have anything to do with slavery. Right, yeah. yes. But, you know, you look at places like Georgetown, you look at places like Yale, Harvard, Princeton, uh, they all benefited. Mm-hmm. Uh, you privileged because of the wealth. Wealth is something not like wages. As you know, we talk about that all the time, right? There's a huge difference between wealth and making a uh, living. Money. Work, money. Right. So if if that money with the has been got from some free labor and it then passed down for generation, two generations, three generations, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten generations. Yes. That builds up and you reap that. And the people that provided you with that initial wealth, they are in the cold. Right, right. For the whole period. Yes. So the, the justification, as I said before, before people draw a conclusion or jump to conclusion about reparation for the modern era, 21st century, I would strongly advise them to go back and read uh, Darity and Mullen's book, because as I say, it's the best research book on the case for economic for psychological, for sociological, for ethical, for morality, you know, on any level you want to talk about a right. justification for reparation. Now, I'm not moderate the panel, so I'm not taking a position. I'm just there to hear from these authors and to hear from the other scholars who are going to be discussing these issues. Yeah, and you know, Dad, I just love how you gave that that history lesson. Listen, let me tell you, you all got that for free. Okay, so make sure to share this uh, podcast with other folks, or make sure to go back to this Facebook Live because you know a lot of people major in African American studies much later in life to find out this this kind of timeline, if you will. So, Dad, you did an excellent job with you, just kind of bringing uh, us from 1619 to now. Yeah, and you know, it's amazing we mentioned 1618 because you know there's a you know New York time piece that was yes. done time ago, and you mm-hmm. had all these other folk, even one here in Mississippi, Trump started as well, where they talk about you know uh, we shouldn't really talk about that history. We just talk about the uh, the uh, everything being positive. Yeah, right. there are a lot of things that's been positive, but a lot of things been negative, and right. so what historians have to do, and I think if they're true, uh, and what uh, political thinkers have to do if it's if they're true to form is tell the whole truth. Right. And I think what's so interesting, um, too, and, and uh, Renata said, you preaching that. Um, I think what's interesting is the way that this whole nation was built on is paying on a debt. But when it comes to the humanity piece around, you know, enslaved persons, folks don't want to pay on a debt. I'll give you an example. If you purchase a car and get a loan, you usually have to have a grantor or someone who will pay on the debt for you if you are unable to pay on the debt because the debt is to be paid. Correct. And so it is that I mean that's 
that's how capitalism has worked here in the United States. And so it's so interesting to me that that can't translate over a debt is owed and it's time to pay on the debt. That's not saying that you were the one that did it in particular, just like a grantor. You weren't the one that purchased the car, but there is a debt to be paid. And, and the also examples, you know, he gives examples from Germany. He gives examples from Israel. He mm -hmm. gives examples from the Japanese uh, that were in, you know, during World War II, they were put in camps. Uh, yeah. They didn't get what they deserved, but they got some reparation. Uh, Jews from Germany, Germany did it right. Because one of the things Germany did was after... Uh, you know, after the World War II was over and, mm -hmm. his, uh, and his Nazis had been defeated, uh, the new German that came on said, look, you know, we, we uh, are not going to allow these Nazis to come back and build monuments. We're not going to allow these Nazis to come back and, and fly their flag. Right. Uh, America did it just the opposite. Uh, right. Even after the war had ended, that's why I say to people, uh, the South really won the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, because even after the war was over, uh, within just a few years, particularly after Reconstruction, the flags, the old Virginia flag that we know as the Confederate flag that we saw in the Capitol a couple of weeks ago was flying high again. All these monuments to honor yes. the great Confederacy, the lost cause, right. was back in the books. I mean, they wrote books. I mean, I remember old stupid history book I had that was not history <laughs> that talked about the happy slave. Now, first of all, nobody interviewed these African people to find out what they were happy. Nobody, about. nobody. And that, that doesn't even make sense. That right. does not they, even make they, sense. They were happy. They were happy to be here because they had been taken from Africa, quote unquote, and brought to America and, uh, and given the opportunity to become Christian. First of all, that's bony too, because Christianity did not start with Europe and nor did it start with America. Right. So anyway, the point is, that Germany said, look, you lost, you are not going to bring this crap back. Mm -hmm. Israel, for an example, uh, even in America, where you have a situation where uh, you have Israel back in the Middle East and the Jews in America, but Americans were willing to yeah. uh, agree to that Germany was willing to pay some reparation. Is it what it should have been? No. You can never properly, I think, make uh, make people whole. Right. When right. you've treated them like uh, uh, crimes against humanity for right. hundreds of years, right? right? You can never make them whole, but you can do things. Then they have these other folks that make the argument, well, how would they, we you know, assume we could come I up was with gonna a, say, a, right. uh, how are you going to spend the money? Well, you don't have, I mean, that can always be worked out. That's the detail. But the bottom line is there are things you can do with education institutions. There are mm -hmm. things you can do with black colleges and universities. There are things you can do with the black church. There are things you can do with communities in terms of giving people grants and other ways to start their own businesses. Where there's, my mother used to say, where there's a will, there's a way. Right. Once you say, this, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. This is the debt that we owe. We don't need to have a tight timeline according to these guys about when it's done. Right. But do you, do you admit that this is an issue? Do you admit yes. that it's been a problem? Do Can you agree as economists that this is the debt, this is what is owed? Right. Now, you can figure out over the next century or so how to how to pay it. Yes, Because a debt is always a debt. Well, one more time, Dad, for people that just came on, what's the name of the book? Because I want to make sure uh, the next time that I have all this conversation on my Facebook page, I can quote this book. The book is From Here to Equality. Uh, reparation for Black Americans in the 21st Century okay. by William Darity and 
Kirsten Mullen, M-U-L-L-E-N. I think it's a husband wife team. And as I said earlier, I just finished it about two days ago. It's about 340 pages, but it's the research is just, it's extensive. Yes. Uh, I mean, the sources in Mississippi and Georgia and Alabama, uh, uh, there are things that I knew about before because he brings it up, but he yeah. brings it up from a different perspective in terms of folk that own land in Mississippi. Because that's another thing people don't understand that how much land like I, my ancestors own in Oxford. Yeah. But we got that land because not because it was given to them, they hustle. Even after enslaving, they had to hustle their dimes and nickels to buy this land, right? Yes. So they own millions of acres of land throughout the South. Yes. Over time, because of systemic racism, white supremacy, you know, one of the games that was played, I don't want to give it away because there's so much in this book. Yeah. But when, when people would come and kill the person, Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other family members had to leave at night because of the Klan or other white land. racist groups, they, all the land was taken. Yes. And yes. the state was that that was that was something that the state endorsed. Yes. Right. And then in some instances, you had these old crooked lawyers. I know you're a lawyer. You're not crooked. Uh, <laughs> they would finagle people out of their land, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yes. it just it just to me that's a crime against humanity. Not only yes. have you enslaved people, but when they got to land, yeah, you took that. Right. Right. It's just, it's right. It's uh, so, but that stuff was done not by individuals. That's by individuals are not the one that should pay. It's something that the federal government endorsed. Housing, oh Lord, let me not stop. Okay. Whether, whether Chicago, whether you know this, you have housing, New York, these slums, and people, black people would leave the South, go north, have a little home, get to Chicago, you come out with the GI Bill, you come out with FHA. Yes. And those things are for everybody. Those are taxpayers' money. Did black people get those loans? No. Right. They, right. I think there were one or two black people in Mississippi that during the 40s and 50s was able to get an FHA loan. Right. Or the GI Bill. There was a soldier that came back that could not qualify after serving for this country. Right. That's all you can add into the debt. And that's, and that's uh, like you said, that's not individual people. We're talking about as a collective. These are things that are happening as right. a collective that are influencing and harming a group of people. Right. So we have to remember that. And I also want to- The federal government endorsed it. The federal yes. government is being responsible for the paying of it. Yes. And also, um, the, there's another book in the chat that was mentioned, Slavery by Another Name. So that's another yes. book yes. that we encourage you to read. But I do want to also put some light in that darkness when you were just talking about owning land. I think especially for my group of colleagues and friends and loved ones who are around my age, I'm in my 40s and younger, don't discount your grandparents or parents who own land. Don't let that land go. I mean, they have fought for this land by hook or crook to keep land in the family. So if you have land, if your grandparents own land or great-grandparents, pay, pay the taxes on it. Don't lose that land. As you can see, that is a commodity. And I think many times in the South, we've kind of discounted that and just said, oh, you know, my grandfather owned land or my grandmom owned land and just kind of move on. Correct. That is a hot commodity for us to hang on to in terms of just uh, acknowledging what they had to do to keep that land. 
that's the wealth issue that we talked about earlier. Land is is another form of wealth uh, that you can pass on just like an insurance policy or just like the wealth that's accumulated through stocks and bonds or whatever. That's another form of wealth. And right, uh, it's important, back to financial literacy again, to teach because there are so many heirs of families that are all over this country and all over this world. And oftentimes for five or six years, they have these people that go in and check on those tax rolls mm -hmm. every July. Mm -hmm. And they buy land and they could be in Australia, but right. that could be a piece of land in Georgia that they have purchased because the, the heirs, for whatever reason, because they forgot or didn't care, didn't pay the taxes on the land. So yeah. if you got land, like you said, your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents got land, own land, uh, and you now gonna be inheritors of that land, uh, at least get it and sell it. Don't just let it go back to the city or the county or the state. Or the, right. You know, that's wealth for you. Capture yes. wealth. Yes, absolutely. Dad, well, this, you know, this has been a really good time. I'm just glad that so many of you all have gotten a vaccine and I'm praying and praying, very similar to what you said, I'm praying on it, <laughs> that more folks will get the vaccine so we can begin to see each other again, hopefully starting this summer. Yeah, thank you. And I think people are um, patient. They want to do able to do that. And I think that sooner we do what we need to do, I think the vaccine may be the only way to get back to, quote unquote, some degree of normalcy, although I don't think we're going to ever be the way things used to be, things going to be different, but we can make that different uh, a great thing. Yes. I mean, we're communal people. We need each other. I know this has been a tough, tough time. Um, so, you know, I just want to send all of my condolences out for so many people who have passed away over yeah. this time um, and, and know that we are coming on the other side. So I look forward to seeing, you know, more of you all in person. Maybe Dad, maybe one day we'll do a podcast, you know, where people can come and actually watch us uh, go back and forth. Oh, That'll be delightful. And I, will, I must tell you that, um, uh, if I seemed a little bit emotional today, it was not. It's just this this uh, this book um, left me not only from a scholarship standpoint excited, but just to delve into the book, it leaves a little bit of uh, uh, a little, frankly, anger. You know, yeah, it's a little anger there too. Yes, uh, uh, that uh, that comes out because uh, there are so many opportunities that we had as a country, and we missed. Uh, yes. that we I made the whole nation missed that opportunity to, to do right by its people who had given so much and sacrificed so much to make America what it is today. Yeah, and we I appreciate you being emotional about that because we deserve to be angry. I think we as Black people in particular have, you know, had this notion to just, you know, pray about it, to, to forgive, to move on. Um, but no, I, I no. We don't know more time for moving on. And I'm not saying you can't pray and, and, and do whatever you do in terms of your forgiveness, but the debt is owed. And that's just the bottom line. And, and, the, and until the more of us say that collectively, um, I don't know, again, if we're going to be able to move the needle, but I believe in that. No, a debt is owed, period. It's owed. That's just the truth. That, that's just the truth. I'm, I'm sorry if you feel that it's not, that's just... Sorry to say, but that's- and again, I would recommend this book, even though we talk about, uh, this book is for everybody in America. Right. Uh, ought to read this book uh, and other books as well that's been referenced, but this is one they should read um, because 
it's not only going to be a recap of things they know, but it has a way of putting it all together in a way um, that I hadn't seen this subject pulled together before. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm glad y'all know dad doesn't like talking personally about himself. I know I keep getting feedback on, you know, we got to delve more into dad's story. We'll do that next week. But I will say this. I just like being able to sit at the feet of dad and, and, and learn about all the things that he likes to do. And it helps me as well reflect on why I'm the person I am because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So I always just want to share with you all all the conversations that dad and I have offline because I was just like, this is some good stuff and you, you're getting it for free. So um, not that I'm all about money, but I'm just saying many of us go to college and, and just now learn about all the things that dad has experienced and read about. So Thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I, I must say that, you know, it's, it's a lifetime, you know, knowledge and uh, wisdom uh, comes with a lifetime of study and reflection and, and learning from others, uh, be it uh, from a literary standpoint or just listening to people who are mentors. And uh, even though uh, I, I mentioned this book earlier, although uh, I'm not a deep sea diver, uh, I just could appreciate the fact that of First of all, I love Greek history and Greek philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. So, and the fact that I was able to go there, but just to find out about these divers, because they were exploited too, because I didn't get into it. But one of the reasons why I brought that up was because his grandfather wrote a poem called Winter Dream, which mm -hmm. is about 20 pages. And he just sent me a copy of the original poem in Greek, but he also sent me a DVR that they translate the poem. And I'm going to listen to it sometime this week, yeah. uh, the poem. Uh, and, but it just, it's, talks about the fact that his father, grandfather saw a wrong being done there with the divers and how they were used and exploited by capitalists who were, mm -hmm. again, making a dollar because sponges became, especially in the Ottoman Empire, but that's another, another subject. But yeah. what I'm saying here is that uh, there are things that may not be close to home, but when you read about them, you see some relationships yes. of how the elites, whether it's in the Ottoman Empire or in America, can use people, whether they're black or white, if they are considered to be not worthy of what they got. Yes, yeah. And, and that's universal. And But it's also universal that people fight against that. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say that. If we know that there's a common theme, you got to speak up and speak out. If you're angry, be angry. If you... You know the truth in your heart. You know it. I just firmly believe we know our moral truth. Some people are just going to be on the extreme. Now, I know that's not everybody. They're going to be on both sides. But the, the moderate person, the average American or the average whatever nation you're from, you know morally what's the truth. Yes. And so you have to lean into that. And if you believe that, speak out on it. Don't let someone blow out your flame if you truly believe that that's not right. And that's what I get from you. I get that from both you and mom. You know, if something's not right, just speaking on it. I, I'll have to deal with the repercussions later. But right. I'm not going to be one that leaves this planet and leaves this world that did not speak the truth about moral, morally right and just things that are going on in this world. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And that's why my people like Dr. King and so many others who, who said, you know, and Fred Douglas and uh, and others, uh, you know, John Brown. I mean, mm -hmm. people just totally misread John Brown, you know, what it was about. They tried to make him a madman. He was not a madman. Right. Uh, just like the revolutionaries who fought against the English says, you know, give me freedom or yes. give me death. Mm -hmm. John Brown said, 
and to the Africans that were with him, we're not going to, you're not going to give us a freedom. We're going to take our freedom. Right. Now, in the meantime, they hang him. But right. at least he spoke out. He was not a madman. He was not a madman at all. He knew exactly what he was doing. Right. He was a guy, was against the idea of people enslaving people. Yes. Because yes. nobody in his right human mind wants to be enslaved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it well, seems to me everybody wants their freedom. Absolutely. Everyone. Everyone. Even you you want to make sure your pets are free, right? I know I see people all the time. Oh, don't don't chain a dog up in the backyard. Oh my gosh, that's so inhumane. Right. Why in the world, if you feel that way about a dog, can you not feel that way about your fe fellow brother or sister? And that's why, Dad, we use the term brother and sister, because that brings you closer to someone, even if you're not blood. That just innately, unconsciously makes you closer to humanity. Um, so I intentionally use that word, and I hope that you will adopt it um, as well. So thank you, Dad. This was good. You know, as always, you all come back. I promise we'll be back on Facebook Live. But for those who are on our podcast, I'll go ahead and close out and say, be safe and share love. One love. So if you would like to contact us, email us at daddaughterdialogues at gmail.com and let us know how we're doing, as well as what you'd like to hear us discuss. We're also now, as you saw today, on Facebook. So you can go to our page, Dad Daughter Dialogues, and you can leave a comment there too. We're always looking for ideas. Dad and I come up with a lot of them, but we would love to hear what you would like us to talk about. Also, we have fabulous merchandise. We have t-shirts and mugs. So you can go to our Facebook page and click on there to purchase some of our merchandise. Or also consider being a monthly subscriber. This helps us pay for the editing and all the things that come along with hosting a podcast. If you go to anchor.fm at Dad Daughter Dialogues, you can become a monthly subscriber there. And again, we appreciate that wherever you are, thank you for tuning in and to remember to be safe and share love. And I will share one last point that our good friend of mine who's a filmmaker in Chicago referred to Aisha as the podcast mongrel. <laughs> you all have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. I appreciate everybody being online. Take care. Thank you. Take care, everybody. This is the love that makes me strong. This is the love that makes me strong. This is the love. This is the love.